0: Well, we're in a series, and we are in the second part of a series called Path to Freedom. And last week, I shared a few stories with you, and in case you haven't figured it out, I like to tell stories. I blame it on my dad's side of the family. We just we're storytellers. <laughs> but I told you a story, uh, but the main point of our message was that freedom is both an event and a journey, and that theme will carry through for the next several weeks, Freedom is an event, and it's a journey. And I talked about how I I like to ride my BMX bike when I was a kid. I even, last week, I thought, I'm just gonna just Google and see some pictures of BMX bikes from that particular year, which will remain anonymous, (laughs) what year that was. But I was thinking about this one particular time, early in my non-existent BMX career, when I came home and I was not riding my bike, I was, actually, uh, I was actually walking my bike home. How many people know if your kid's walking their bike home, either something's wrong with their bike or something's wrong with them. And so I'm walking my bike home and I'm crying and I have like skid, like knees and blood running down my, my knees and it wasn't the first time, but it happened and it was because I was always taking those corners too fast. And I remember my dad meeting me in the driveway and I remember saying something like this, I am never riding this bike again. (laughs) And my dad said, yes you are in fact, get on that bike right now. And he had me get back on the bike and ride my bike again down the street and back just for a moment to remind me that I can do it, that uh, I need to not give up. And so if you're here today on your journey with God and you feel like you've wiped out a few too many times on that bike, we're here today as your church family to say that God's brought you here today on purpose, that we as a family of God are here to say it's okay to try again. Amen? It's okay to try again. I I wasn't going to go back to last week, but I felt like I needed to say it's okay to try again if you're here on your faith journey because freedom is both an event this time when you give your heart to, to the lord you 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 give your life to christ you moment of salvation you're freed from sin and the condemnation of sin but it's also a journey a process of learning what it means to walk in freedom from sin and in victory but there's another tension that's at work that can prevent us from finding freedom in christ and that's kind of where we're what we've been talking through and I think today I want to land on this this tension that who we is between who we believe God is versus who God is, who we believe God is versus who God really is. A few summers ago, we had probably one of the best family vacations we've done, and we went uh, we went to Newfoundland because my husband's from Newfoundland, but we also did a, t- west, a west an east coast tour with uh, Dwayne driving, not me, obviously, Uh, west, east. But we had this great vacation. And one of the highlights of the vacation is this time uh, that we went cod fishing. How many people have ever been cod fishing before? Yeah, I know there's lots of people who've been fishing here in Peterborough, but cod fishing, it was, it was just this amazing experience. And so I wanted to tell you a funny story about Michaela and her codfish, but first I thought it would be only appropriate to share an embarrassing photo of myself catching a fish. So ready, here we go. Picture, this is your pastor catching a codfish. And uh, it was pouring rain. The waves were incredible. There was times when you couldn't see the horizon, you know, when that happens? And I, 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 didn't, I was like, what have we got ourselves into? And so this is my little little codfish, it was a good size. But there was this moment when we're fishing with Michaela, our youngest, and at the time she, she would have been, uh, I guess, nine maybe, going on nine. And uh, we're in the, the boat together, all of us, She's got her, we did the line. We didn't do the jig thing. Anyways, we did a line. And um, she is, her line just bends in half suddenly. And Michaela says, oh, I think I've got something. We're like, we start reeling it. And so she's like cranking on it, just trying. It's just like, it's going right down. And she's like, I think I've got it. And then all of a sudden it would loosen up. And those who have been fishermen or fisher people or people who are fish. <laughs> It wasn't even supposed to be funny. <laughs> when your line settles for a moment, sometimes that's a little trick the fish likes to play. They settle, right? And so she said, oh, I lost it. And then, no, no, no. She goes, no, 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 it's there. And it started to fight again, and it would pull down to the bottom, and, and then she'd pull up again, then, oh, I lost it. No, no, no. No, it's there. Don't worry, it's there. And it was just the funniest moment we had. And then finally, we helped her get it into the boat, and she had the biggest codfish of all. I don't have a picture, I went looking for one. So now it just sounds like a fish tale, like it just sounds like one of those stories. It's not even about me, but I picture this happening in our faith, this too, I I know who God is. No, I don't know who he is. I, I know, I know, I know who he is. No, he's gone. And we have this tension, this struggle about who we believe God is versus who he is. And if there's anything in this next part of this Exodus story that we're traveling through as a church, uh, it's that God is trying to tell us something about who he is. So the question I have for us is, what, what is God telling us then through this story This part of the story, this part of the story that we're in is the part where we're heading into the ten plagues. So let me give you a little bit of context. Moses, he's been commissioned to go and free the Israelites from Egypt. Moses and his brother Aaron go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh then punishes Israelites by taking away the straw they need to make bricks, which we talked about last week. And it brings about discouragement in the people like, this is hard work. We thought we were going to be free immediately. And, and then God reminds Moses to hold on to hope. He sees, he will deliver them. And now here we are in Exodus chapter 7. So let's follow along on the screen with me, would you? Ex- Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Come on, seniors. (laughs) And we have this moment of uh, when God instructs Moses and Aaron to go before Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh excuse me, and he instructs them to throw down their rod, which they know will become a snake, as God had shown them. This powerful imagery, this, this, what they had in their hand became something supernatural, natural to supernatural. And they do this, and here's what happens. Pharaoh's magicians, those in his court, they do the same thing. And verse 12 says, each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron, Aaron's staff swallowed up their snakes. I think that's like one of the most amazing imagery. I think it sticks out to me most because every Easter we used to watch uh, the 10 Commandments at my grandmother's house. And, um, and that was this imagery, this snake swallowing another whole snake. And it was this powerful imagery of who God is and was. And verse 13 says, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. What is God telling us through this part of the story about the 10 plagues that are about to be released onto Egypt, one at a time? First thing God is saying is that the heart matters. The heart matters. There's a call to guard our hearts against this hardening that takes place and we see worked out in the life of Pharaoh. This week, I was, uh, as I was researching about hardening of hearts, I came across a medical journal. Now, I want you to know that I went to Bible college, not to medical school. How many people in the medical profession do we have here? Just out of curiosity. Raise your hand if you're in the medical profession at all. Okay, yep, I see you, yes. Looking, raise your hand, there you go. So you can correct me later if I'm wrong. <laughs> but there was this journal and I was trying to put it all together what it meant, but at the heart of it, it was talking about the prevention of heart calcification, like the hardening of the heart. Not the arteries, but like the actual heart. And it says hardening of the heart usually takes place after a physical trauma to the heart or an injury to the chest. That would take place. Um, they were doing tests to also see how to prevent the process from happening. But the interesting part is when there is something that's happening naturally in the body that's a trauma, so a, a heart attack or some kind of, or again, bl- again blunt trauma to the heart, then there was this idea that they could using testing and and trying out these different scientific measures, they were able to see that if they caught it at the right time, when an injury takes place, there were ways that that hardening could be prevented from happening. The problem that they still were having, though, was that, first of all, you don't know when something traumatic is going to happen to a heart in order to catch it at, the, at that time. So it's not exactly a preventative measure, but the idea is that it is possible to prevent the hardening of the heart um, if there was some kind of science to be able to stop in that moment of time before trauma. What they did say also, though, is that once the hardening has happened, it is basically impossible to reverse when a heart turns to, the Bible would call it, stone. The opposite of a freed heart is a hard heart. And in Israelites, the Israelites' case, the opposition to their freedom was Pharaoh's hardened heart. God told Moses in the desert as part of his plan for delivering the Israelites that Pharaoh's heart would be hardened, but God would free them. In our case, when we're looking for spiritual freedom and be able to walk in victory in our faith, uh, it is most often our own hardening of our hearts that prevents us from walking forward in freedom, isn't it? A freed heart is this, think about it, both the physical attributes of a heart as well as this spiritual attributes or symbolic attributes. But a freed heart is life-giving, right? Think of that heart pumping through your whole body, blood through your whole body, life. It's light, it's not heavy. It beats steady, it's not anxious. It's not dangerous, but it's safe and nourishing to the whole body. A hardened heart on the opposite end is life-draining incapable of growth and nourishment. It's heavy-weighted, restrictive and limiting, unable to nourish the whole body. Which kind of heart would you prefer? Proverbs 4, verse 23. I mean, this verse has grown up with me. I've grown up with this verse. Proverbs 4, 23. Above all else, say it with me. Guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. You see, you can't have both freedom in Christ and a hardened heart. Think about that for a moment. You can't have both freedom in Christ and a hardened heart. How many people know one or two bitter Christians? Would you say they walk in freedom? What I do love is God's provision for his people and this crisis of having a heart that's hardened, this this characteristic of most human beings when they go through difficult times or tragedy, they, they do harden up. They become bitter inside. And there's long after Moses, the prophet Ezekiel says these words, he says for I will take out of the nation I will take you Israel out of the nations I will gather you from all countries and bring you back into your own land I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols I God says will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you And move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This brings encouragement to me. That the heart of God who recognizes this evil dictator, recognizes evil personified in Pharaoh, says his heart will be hardened. He will harden his heart, and I will then harden his heart so that I can be shown glory in the nations. But he says to us, he reminds us through his entire word, that his heart is that one day he would bring away that the hard heart could become flesh again. And it would be by the Spirit of God. The remedy for a spiritual hard heart is repentance. We learn that throughout scriptures. And a yielding to the work of the Spirit in your life, which is a reminder that the Apostle Paul gives us so many times through scriptures. But let's go back to the text where we started today. Exodus chapter 7 verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river, confront him on the bank of the Nile, and take in your hand the staff that has changed into a snake. Did it change back from a snake, or is it still? Take the staff. And they will say to him, then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. Verse 17, this is what the Lord says, by this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. Water. This is the beginning of 10 plagues that would go through all of Egypt. And don't worry, we're not going to go over every one. I calculated it quickly, and two minutes on every one of 10 would equal 20 minutes of sermon. And that would not be a good use of our time. But I want you to take note of some things that may have been missed at the beginning of this first plague that's about to be handed out to the Egyptians. It says, by this you will know That I am the Lord. By this you will know. It's this interesting phrase. Uh, It's God is setting something into motion here. Similar language was used when declaring his promise to Noah. By this, the rainbow in the sky, you will know my covenant. In the Abrahamic covenant, this is my covenant. It's the same kind of declaration by God. Jacob's dream of the ladder, he sets a marker stone in the place he woke up and said, this stone, this is set for a pillar that shall be God's house. He calls it Bethel, the place Bethel. There is a purpose in this part of the Exodus narrative that God is explaining to us his intentions of the plagues. It was so that they would know, by this you will know that I am the Lord. And I believe God is showing how the scales of justice are about to tip in the favor of God's people. Because right now they're seeing evil's power as being so great. And they may feel like God has gone. But God is showing them through his mighty acts that God's power is supreme. And evil's power will not have victory. God is laying out for us the extent of Pharaoh's unyielding and hardened heart. He's about to contrast the dependency of Pharaoh on his own powers with the sufficiency and the magnificence of God's will to bring his people freedom. And that's the same God you and I serve. The God who desires to bring you into complete freedom in Christ. Freedom from sin, freedom from shame. What is God reminding us through the 10 plagues? First, that the heart matters, but second, there is none like him. There's none like him. We head into a sequence of events, the 10 plagues that lasted approximately 40 days. First, the Nile is struck turns to blood. We hear that the, that the river changed, the river smelled bad, the Egyptians could not drink its water, blood was everywhere in Egypt, it's a horrible sight. But verse 22 says, but the Egyptian magicians did the same thing by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said, instead he turned and went into his palace and did not even take this to heart. You see, verse 22 says that his heart became hard, mostly because he realized that his magicians could do the same thing. Then the frogs came. Pharaoh hardened his heart again, and there were frogs everywhere, and I just can't even imagine, households filled, sinks filled, everything filled, the the rivers filled, everything with frogs everywhere. And Pharaoh hardens his own heart again. You see there's this part of the story where it's Pharaoh hardening his heart and then it changes to God hardening Pharaoh's heart and there's all sorts of dialogue around these things but we know that there comes a point when we are hardening our heart against God and his will to the point where we are, we're beyond the point of return. But praise be to God, God is a God of second chances and through Jesus we can have redemption of sin. But in this scene, scene one and two, the magicians are able to provide the same wonder as Moses and Aaron. And I wanna say as an application to this that there's, there will always be counterfeits to the freedom we can have in Christ. Counterfeit gods, counterfeit power, counterfeit influencers throughout history who will convince you that your God is no different than any other God. That your method is no different than any other method of self-help or spiritualism or positive thinking. Perhaps some would say that you have just a crutch that would be maybe magical to you. But I'm here to tell you today, and that God is telling us through his scripture that there is no one like our God. Psalm 86, 8 to 10 says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. There are historians and theologians who have pondered and some concluded that the choice of plagues God sent and warned Pharaoh about were actually to test the very gods that Pharaoh and Egypt had placed their trust in, the false things, And so God sends next the gnats. And now the earthly counterfeits, the magicians, they can't match it. And it says Pharaoh's heart was hard. And then God sends the flies and Pharaoh's hardens his own heart. Verse 32 says again, you see, there's something that happens when we feel this lack of control over our circumstances that we just dig in deeper in our revolt against the Lord and what He's doing. Then the livestocks come, and all the livestock plague comes, and all of the livestocks of Egypt are are killed; they die. And God shows His separation of these two nations, and all the Israelites livestocks live. And verse 7 says, Pharaoh's heart was hard. And then God says through, sends through Moses and Aaron the boils on everyone's skin. They, while he's speaking, the people who are in the magicians, the, the people who are in the council of Pharaoh, while Moses and Aaron are coming before him, their boils start to appear on their skin immediately. And now, The magicians are getting a little scared too. And verse 12 says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart." You see, in contrast, there's this imagery of the gods of Egypt being contrasted with this amazing supremacy of God. The gods that Pharaoh's people may have served had many different names, but Hapi, the bull god, the god of the Nile, Isis, the goddess of the Nile, guardian of the Nile, Ray, a sun god, Uachit, possibly represented by the fly, Set, the god of the desert storms. Hathor, goddess with a cow head. Apis, the bull god. All these imageries of who they would pray for in a time of crisis. Who they would pray to did not match the awesome power of the god of Moses and Aaron. And then just before the hail comes... Exodus 9:13. the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me, or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. Understand the mercy of God even in all of this. But I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You see, Pharaoh, he then hardened his heart once more. And I believe that freedom, both here and and in our hearts today requires a surrender to who God truly is. A surrender to the lordship of Christ in our day and context. And what is lordship? It's something that was talked about a lot. When I was a teenager, we talked a lot about making Christ our Lord and what did that mean? It acknowledges that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the son of God. He's the ruler, the owner, the master. We had this funny thing in Niagara-on-the-Lake. It, they love tradition in Niagara-on-the-Lake. And so they kept this tradition going, which is the mayor was called the Lord Mayor. It was a, it was a tradition passed down uh, through British, the British uh, legacy or colonies that would have been there. And so this this Lord Mayor so-and-so. And when Betty became mayor, the question does Betty still get to be Lord Mayor? Betty? It was just <laughs> no comment. But this Lordship, this idea that there's only one Lord, <laughs> it is Jesus. Colossians 1:15 says the son is the image of the invisible God the first born over all creation for him in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him he is before all things and in him all things hold together this is why he is lord the master the owner the the ruler Of all things. And I'm telling you. After plague. After plague happened. Even those closest to Pharaoh. Who their hearts were not necessarily hardening. They came to a point where they're saying. I think this God. He might be ruler of all. Let them go. You know lordship. It really is involving. uh, Being all in. For Christ in our lives. Michaela, the imagery of her in this fishing rod and she's pulling and she's, she's pulling it back and forth and she thinks she has it. She doesn't think she has it. Do you know when she knew she had it? When the fish was in the boat with her. The fish was right in the boat with her. Lordship is about allowing Christ to be all in in our lives. Every piece of our lives is surrendered to his supremacy to who he is. Pharaoh's heart is hardened and God sends the locust. Pharaoh's heart is hardened again and God sends darkness over the whole of Egypt. But not on the people of Israel. And we come to this realization that what God is trying to show us even through the stories of the 10 plagues is that false gods must fall. False securities must fall if we're to find freedom. Exodus 11, verse one says, "'Now the Lord had said to Moses, "'I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. "'After that, he will let you go from here. "'And when he does, he will drive you out completely.'" So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, "'About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. "'Every firstborn son in Egypt will die.'" From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well, there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. And verse 2 says this of chapter 12 God said, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I mean, it sounds like God was intentional in what he sent as plagues. It sounded like he had nothing to prove but he was instead revealing who he was. And if the plagues had any connections to the gods of Egypt, this last plague would hit home the hardest Min was the god of re- uh, reproduction. Heket was the goddess who attended women at childbirth. And Isis was the goddess who protected children. And none of those gods were able to prevent what would happen that night. Pharaoh's firstborn son, he was considered a god. Human, but was considered a god because of the, the hierarchy And when God brought the final blow down on this evil dictator Pharaoh, it became a reminder to all the surrounding nations and perhaps to us as well as fallen human beings that all other gods were not as powerful as the God of Moses. The words Moses would read from the 10 Commandments later would now, and we read to ourselves now as freed individuals, thou shalt have no other gods before me It still matters. It still matters. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, the Ten Commandments says. And then it says, the Ten Commandments say, and it says that thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or on earth or beneath or the waters under the earth, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I the Lord, uh, thy God, am a jealous God. You see, anything that is lifted higher than the name of Jesus in our life, it must be surrendered And I say that not to be for a heaviness, but instead for a freeing of our hearts before the Lord. This is where freedom can be found. Anything that's lifted higher, whether it be our pride, our position in life, our finances, our prominence, our influence, our preferences our social life, our habits, you name it right now, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts and say, that thing you may be lifting higher than your priority to be free in me. And they all must come under the submission of the Lordship of Christ. Next week, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next part of our passage together. Because we're going to talk about the Passover and the the initiating of the Passover uh, festival and what was supposed to take place based and why it was taking place from that point forward in Israel's history. We're going to walk through the details and the fine print of this final plague and how the people of God were preserved and why they were preserved and how they were preserved. I know you want to go into it right now, but go ahead. You can read it in your Bible this week. but we're gonna observe where the symbols of the Passover uh, that Jesus shared with his disciples, where they originated from, and it's from this text. But I do, what I do want us to remember today, before we go from here today, is that, fourthly, what God is trying to teach us is that our God will have the final victory. So be ready to walk in your freedom now. Left our own abilities, we would align with Pharaoh who only wanted to get ahead, to stay in control of his kingdom. But we who are the children of God, we've been offered a path to freedom. Freedom from the very things that try to hold us captive to prevent us from being free in Christ. So my question to us today is this, what is the state of our heart? And how does God want to bring us to greater freedom in him? Romans 6, verse 17 to 18 says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. This is the glory that we have as believers in Christ. You know, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up at this time and. We're gonna take some time just to reflect personally on what God's saying to us. But without taking away, sealing next week's thunder, I want you to remember and look in the scriptures if you don't know the story well. There's something that happens that protects the people of Israel from this final and deadly plague. The plague would come through at night and there would be, uh, as the scriptures just explain, there would be this cry that would go out because the firstborns of every household would die. But the people of God, the Israelites, they would not perish. And the reason they didn't perish was because God gave them specific instructions to ensure their freedom. And it had to do with this shedding of blood of a perfect lamb, spotless lamb, And the lamb would be shed and they would take the blood from the lamb and they would put it over the doorpost of their house so that the angel of death, when he came through, would see who was covered by the blood of the lamb. It was the first step to their freedom, the covering. So I want to take this moment while we're here today to say if... You're struggling right now to know what it means to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what, what it means to make God the Lord of your life, Jesus Lord of your life, that all other gods, all other systems, all other self-help, all those things that in them, themselves can be helpful, the, the, the self-help, the emotional healing, all those pieces are important. But there's a freedom from sin that can only come through Jesus. And the precious blood of the lamb, Jesus, who was the spotless lamb that died for our salvation. This is what makes this passage, this story, the most powerful. That God made a promise that those who would have heart of heart could have a heart of flesh. That they could be transformed because of his spirit being placed on him, the spirit would come and be placed on them because Jesus made this sacrifice that those who would accept him would receive the spirit of God and be called sons and daughters of God. This is the hope we have today. So if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want this spiritual freedom, you want to be free in all areas of your life, then today is your day that you can receive him as your Lord and Savior. I would encourage you, when we take a moment at the end here, come up to the front, find a pastor, and tell them, I wanna receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. And we will pray with you, we will rejoice with you as you make the biggest commitment in your life. You won't regret it. But I also wanna say, that the blood on the doorstep over their doorpost was also a first step, it was a redeeming step, but they had to walk along the path to freedom and trust in the God who actually saved them and called them to be saved. And we must walk in a freedom knowing who God is, not allowing our hearts to become hardened or embittered over the years, but instead to surrender to the Lordship of who God is over and over again, not because in order to earn salvation, no, don't hear me wrong, but in order to experience and remind ourselves of the freedom that we actually have in Christ, to be sons and daughters who are fully redeemed because of the blood of the lamb, who have been redeemed and can walk in freedom If there are things in your life that are holding you back spiritually, perhaps it's because of a lordship issue. And today you wanna make that right with God. You're gonna say, God, I'm gonna put my finances at your feet. God, I'm gonna put uh, my ambition, the things I want to accomplish, I'm gonna submit them to you, God, and know that you give the desires of your heart to those who are trusting in you and delight themselves in you. And anything that puts itself higher in your mind then the things of God must come under the submission to the God's sovereignty. And so that's something that we can do together today as a church body, but also as individuals that we can renew again in our hearts the desire for freedom and a submission to who God is because there's no other gods like our God. No other gods. Would you stand with us? We're gonna sing a song, and while you're, we're singing this worship song together, as we're worshiping, I want you to ask Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. If there's anything that is stopping you from experience of freedom in Christ, that you would submit to his will and his way today, and I promise you, immediately you will start to feel freedom coming to your spirit freedom to your spirit. If you are experiencing a hardening of heart, if you've been bittered or embittered by the things of this world or disappointments in life, do not harden your heart another day. Submit to God and allow him to do the work in your life fresh.